Welcome to the Reframers Podcast. Arguing with friends and fam about politics is hard. New plan. Let's reframe what it means to discuss and disagree by talking and listening to each other. We're the Reframers. I made such a sad dinner tonight. I was like really trying. I had all these great ingredients and I just totally bombed it. Like I had this homemade pasta that one of my coworkers gave me who's like, a legit bread person so like knows how to make pasta and I tried to make this I have all this goat cheese left over from my sister's bachelorette and I like looked up some recipes and I'm like I have so much cheese I need to make like a sauce so I was like oh I'll make this goat cheese sauce with this like homemade pasta sure. and it turned out so bad <laughs> now yes. I have so much of it mm. <laughs> like I think I'm gonna have to throw it away like it's not good that was so disappointing oh, oh can God, you like add it can you add anything to it to like save it or is it maybe I think if I add like some spinach maybe like or something like that I might be able okay. to save it but it's yeah what's bad about it is it is it the cheese itself yeah I mean the cheese is not like the cheese by itself wouldn't have been bad but like the way it is mixed in it just like doesn't it doesn't taste good so yeah. I don't know <laughs> that's so disappointing it's like a, such a bummer when you're stoked on something like oh man this is gonna be awesome and then it just is disappointing and i like and you're like trying to be creative i was trying to be creative and i didn't really want to cook and i was like oh i have so much of these particular ingredients like i have to use them and then it yeah i don't know just didn't pan out it did not pan out (laughs) yeah we should probably say hi to everybody by the way good afternoon morning and evening hello hi everyone Welcome to the fra- re- welcome to the reframers and also my dinner cooking struggles. <laughs> well, you're ahead of us because we haven't even eaten yet. So, oh well, there you go. <laughs> we'll get to it. It's yeah. it's on the list of things to do. You know how it goes. Uh, today I have I'm very cute today, you guys. I have some really cute notes in my specific reframers pod notebook. And I'm excited because today is like a super sweet producer's cut producers, rapid fire. I don't know what it is. It basically means I'm going to ask them stuff and they have to answer it, even though they're not uh, prepped. Um, This will be a more off the cuff episode, hopefully a little bit more um, light, not necessarily light, but fun and not as much research has been done um, as the other ones. So we hope you like it. Well, zero, zero research. research has been done. We have done zero research. So Zach and I are in a very vulnerable position and Cassie has all of the power this week. That's right. That's right. I have but we couple... thought it would, we thought it would be kind of interesting to get our initial reactions to things that we haven't researched, you know, especially because that's how a lot of these conversations happen. It's not like you usually have just a bucket of statistics to pull from when you're in everyday conversation with people. Right. I have a couple of listener shout outs I'd like to start with. So I'm going to jump right in. Let's Um, do it. I have a listener shout out for Catherine. Catherine is a longtime listener and friend of Aaron's. Um, I I'm happy to report that Catherine is the inspiration for a lot of the topics we might be touching on tonight. Thanks, Catherine, for giving us some of your great ideas. We appreciate it. And I hope that other people feel encouraged to do so as well, because like Erin said, this is this is supposed to be stuff that just comes up in conversation sometimes and you're not necessarily prepared, but uh, you probably have a feeling or a thought or an opinion on it. And we want to be able to talk about those things that you are thinking of in your life. That's shout out number one. Shout out number two is for Casey Canino, Aaron's sister who just celebrated her bachelorette party this past weekend and won't be a Canino for much longer. So we want to give her a little bit of a, of a shout out. And this one's especially fun for me. This is a shout out that I can only say knowing that this isn't posting the day we record it because it's currently a secret. Congratulations to two of our listeners for getting engaged, Corinne and Cody. We're so excited. So exciting. That's so exciting. I talked to Corinne today. That's so great. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
Corinne and Cody are both super sweet. They are listeners and friends, and we are very happy for them for their upcoming engagement. Well, by the time you hear it, their engagement. So those are our three shout outs. I think we're going to try to continue to do this. So if you listen and you hear something that you like or um, disagree with or just have a thought, reach out and maybe we'll shout you out. I want to mention if you're already watching this on YouTube, great. But we are recording more FaceTime on YouTube from here on out. So we want you guys to be able to come to us via any platform that's convenient to you. I know sometimes when I'm at my desk, I have YouTube videos just open um, on another tab while I'm working away. So we wanted to do that for you guys as well. And they're already all up there on YouTube. I want to mention um, that Zach has already put them all up over the last several months, but they don't have our faces. So now you get to look at us. We tried to look a little bit cute for you today. No judgment. Um, so that's another way for you to come and listen to us. Perfect. Okay. Um, I also have a couple of interesting or fun facts that I found, but I'm going to sprinkle those through maybe a little bit later, just from some people I follow um, online and I'll share those with you later. All right, guys. So we talked a little bit about some of the the quick topics that we're going to do rapid fire. And I have no structure for this. I want you to just kind of share some thoughts and opinions and maybe I'll just do like a cut (laughs) whenever I feel like tired of the conversation. But I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on the budget government shutdown dealio that's been going on lately. Anyone can start. Okay, I'll jump in. Um, I think that this is kind of, uh, my opinion on this is very much related to our separation of powers episode that we did where um, I think it's just a lot of theater that Congress goes through this like, you know, dog and pony show every year of, oh my God, we're going to shut down the government, which like has drastic consequences to people that are employees of the federal government. Um, And I think, so for one, I don't like that. Um, but for two, I think it's like very much appropriate that the Congress needs to tell the people what they're planning on spending our money on every year. And that is like one of their, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's like one of their explicitly stated jobs. So they need to tell us that it should not be, you know, this perpetual tragedy that happens every September through December and just shuts down Congress for like three or four months. Um, that being said, I think we're spending a ton of money that um, just is a little unnecessary at times. Um, should be a lot simpler to tell what we're spending our money on. Yeah, I agree on the political theater aspect of it. That was the first thing that came to mind for me. It is, I believe the budget is something in Article One of the Constitution that uh, Congress has to do. So yeah, agree they need to be doing it. I don't like that it's just this political maneuvering of we're going to shut the government down. And the government has been shut down before based on like doing the budget. And there really are real consequences to that. Um, I think this kind of stems from the dumb political rules that we have in Congress that are not part of the Constitution, uh, which is primarily like the filibuster. And we've talked about this, obviously, like multiple times, but it we have made doing the budget harder than it actually has to be because of the political, I don't know, the, really the political theater of it. So um, the budget's going to get passed at some point. So it's just kind of like why I, I think the reason to, you know, push the, oh, the government's going to shut down is just to make the other party look bad. It's not about like what's right. actually good for the American people or what the budget should be. It's right. which party is going to look worse. And right. so, I, you know, yeah, it needs to get done. I hate the way that this plays out every year. And it's dumb. It doesn't actually accomplish anything. It's so annoying. And if I if I have it right, I, I haven't followed up this last week. But if I understand correctly, um, Senate Democrats are trying to decide what they want. Do they want a $3.5 trillion package? Do they want a one point something trillion dollar package? Um, you've got like 48 of the senators are um, in favor of the the $3.5 trillion option. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are in favor of a lesser option. 
And so you have the Democrats kind of trying to decide what they want, but inevitably it gets blamed on the Republicans that, well, you guys aren't going along. And, um, and so we're going to, you guys are going to cause us to have to shut the government down. And um, it, it happens every year, every year. And it's always whoever isn't, you know, the, the minority party or whatever always gets blamed, like Aaron said. And um, it means that federal employees don't get paid. And a lot of the services that we rely on um, as citizens are severely impacted. Um, I remember one of the crazy ones was, I think, like when Obama was president. Um, I want to say it was like 2012. They shut the government down. And that meant they like put up barricades around all the national parks uh, or national monuments. And it's just is dumb. It's like you don't need people there to walk up to the Washington Monument in DC. Are you talking about so, the one Zach that was in 2019? Cause that one lasted a long time. It's like 35 days. I don't remember. I think I remember. that is the one. I think that is, is the that one. It? Yeah. And that's cause that was that's Trump most, administration. by the way. And that was the most recent one that okay. was like a big deal. This didn't, this wasn't as big of a deal like 20 years ago. We didn't used to have no. the same level of like, Oh, the government's going to shut down. But that was like many things in the Trump presidency, a little bit unprecedented that it was shut down for that long. I thought there was one in Obama that was like, that was, again, I'm not saying it's their fault, like that the presidents don't do anything. There was one. I remember being in uh, sorority school, which is like all summer and you get prepped to do recruitment of new members. And we were there for like eight, nine, 10 hours. And we came out and they were like, the government shut down. And we didn't know what that meant. We were young and didn't care right. at all. And we were like, what, how long were we gone? <laughs> well, and that's kind of what, like, it's funny to me. And, and um, like, well, if the government, if we can all still live our lives for a month without the government working or being open, then uh, maybe we don't need the government to be so big. <laughs> so I know that that's like, that's besides the point because again, all those people that the government relies on aren't getting paid. So like not talking about that, but just the other services. I'm like, well, what, what really did we lose by that time? So anyway. Well, and to be clear, what the, what we're talking about, it's passing the budget, but it's raising the debt ceiling basically mm -hmm. so that we don't have to default on our debts, which we've never done. And so, um, as in we've never defaulted. So this happened, um, or at least we haven't in the modern era. I looked this up just really quick, even though we're not really supposed to. But in Democrats joined the Republican Senate majority in raising the debt ceiling three times during Donald Trump's presidency. And now the Democrats want basically the Republicans to join them in raising the debt ceiling. But obviously, a lot of this has to do with this big spending bill, right, that the Democrats want. Republicans don't want to join it. And so that's where the standoff is happening. Well, and there's, and there's some, conf or not confusion, I guess, but there, this is where like the theater part comes into it, where because of the Senate rules that Aaron mentioned quickly, the, for fiscal things, they have to go through reconciliation, if that's right. And so the reason, like they could pass the debt ceiling today if they wanted to, but because they're tying it to the spending package, that has to go through reconciliation. And you can only use reconciliation, I think three times a year. And so because of these like complication of factors, it's not just so straightforward as raise the debt ceiling. If you raise the debt ceiling, it's also agreeing to the spending package. So that's why there's, again, all the theater that goes along with this whole thing, which is dumb. Thanks, guys. We'll cut that one off there. Love the off the cuff feelings. Uh, quick fun fact. I saw some suggested slash not approved amendments to the United States Constitution. Um, and it's not an exhaustive list, but here are a couple that I found interesting and I wanted to share with you. 1878, an executive council of three should replace the office of president. 1893, renaming this nation the United States of the Earth. 1933, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, we have to pause on that one. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> who, who suggested that? <laughs> is that the is that the United States annexing then the entire planet being yeah, like, right? oh, you're all ours now? <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right, sure. A very ambitious person in 1893. Uh, okay, jumping to 1933, an attempt to limit the personal wealth to $1 million. Personal wealth of? individuals 
Oh, Sounds like it. I would, uh, would definitely change things. Things would be different. They would be different. Then 1938, the forbidding of drunkenness in the United States and all of its territories. And that makes sense. Uh, in 1938. <laughs> I know. <as> <laughs> <cheers>. <laughs> um, in the spirit of lightheartedness and quick on your feetness, Zach and I both have a drink. Aaron has water. I have water. Yeah. That's fine. We support healthy choices on a Wednesday. Uh, and last but not least, 1971, American citizens should have the unalienable right to an environment free of pollution. So those are just some of the ones I found interesting. A council of three as the executive, I just, I feel like nothing would get done. I nothing. mean, that just, that sounds like a terrible idea to me. You're like, all right, Congress is already slow and burdensome. What if we took the worst parts of Congress and added it to the other branch? <laughs> <laughs> all righty my next you know rapid fire is i'm putting the pressure on you this is not an easy one but thoughts on refugees entering the u.s specifically refugees and how it's done and all of that so refugees if we're talking about specifically refugees refugees are different than immigrants in that refugees have to have uh, political status, basically, of why they have to leave their home countries. And so it would be like they are suffering political persecution, religious persecution, you know, other things like that. And we do have um, an asylum process for um, people who are refugees to come into the United States and stay in the United States while their asylum cases are heard. Um, immigration law is super complicated. And asylum is different than like the green card process or some of the other immigration processes. To be classified even as a refugee is, is a process in itself. And so one of the problems, I, I think, if I understand it correctly, is that people come in and then they have to wait for their classification as a refugee. As a refugee. In general, for me on, on the refugee status, I'm like all for them being able to come and stay in the United States until they have their asylum claims heard. I think what's difficult, and maybe I don't understand the process like as well as I should, is what happens while you are like waiting for your refugee status to be confirmed. Um, you know, it, people, there so many of the problems, specifically in like South America, we have immigration from many places, but from South and Central America, are because the U.S. went in and basically messed around in these countries and sort of set the stage in some of them for their own civil wars. And so it's sort of us like reaping the benefit of our like messing around in these countries to put in, you know, leaders who we thought were going to be loyal to us and that kind of thing, creating some of our own refugee problem. And so in general, I'm like way more on the side of we need to like let people be able to come and then go through the process and we could probably fix the process a little bit. So it's a little more efficient. Um, but yeah, on the broad question, that's kind of where I land. Yeah. And I, thanks for the background on that, Aaron, because I definitely don't know like a lot about the particulars in terms of, of the status, but um, I would say, I mean, if you're fleeing your country, like that's, a pretty drastic measure. And it's probably because there's a, a good cause um, to do so. So I'm not even, I, I don't, I think this one, I think we're going to be aligned on because I don't see a reason why we shouldn't allow for refugees to enter the country. I mean, unless there's something that's, I don't know, you're, you're coming from a crazy country where like 80% of the country are terrorists or something like maybe we exclude that nation from, from the refugee list, but I just think in general, if you're, if you're fleeing, um, you know, you should be welcome here, um, until your case is heard and, and you're decided. Um, I think for immigration, like in general, I think the process should be improved dramatically. I just think it's so busted right now. Um, but especially for refugees, I think it makes sense to allow people to come in. We should be able to keep tabs on them, um, while they're waiting, um, like, you know, reporting, maybe this is how the process is, but Maybe they have to report in, you know, once a month, here's where I am, uh, here's what I'm doing, something like that. And then once their case is heard, then it's decided. But that that process should happen quickly. I don't think it makes sense if the process is taking years and years. Like that just feels um, 
needlessly like complicated and, and prolonging. So I think, yeah, refugees, you know, uh, fleeing something, yeah, come in and we should make it as easy as possible for you to be here considering your whole world has been like upended from where you were born. So. Thanks guys. I have another, I don't know if it's a fun fact. I might need to think of a new name for my segment, but I saw that an average of five new polls say that Biden's approval rating has sunk to 42.3% with 51.2% of voters disapproving of the job he's doing. So again, this is an average of five polls and we are in the, we're in Biden's term. This is not, you know, after the fact or anything. So some people were asking um, on the page I follow, have any presidents had a high approval rating? And of course this won't be an apples to apples comparison because the data referenced earlier is an average and, it's the current snapshot in time, but the his, this chart I'm looking at here is a historical trend from Gallup, um, a reputable polling agency, and averages somebody's entire presidency. So I just thought I would share some of these. Um, I'll just mention Biden's current approval rating is 42.3%. So here we go. Donald Trump, 41.1. Barack Obama, 47.9. George W. Bush, 49.4. Bill Clinton, 55.1. George H.W. Bush, 60.9. And then Ronald Reagan, 52.8. Jimmy Carter, 45.5. Gerald Ford, 47.2. Richard Nixon, 49.0. Lyndon Johnson, 55.1. John Kennedy, 70.1. He's the highest on our list. Dwight Eisenhower, 65.0. And then last on the list right here is Harry Truman at 45.4. So reactions are welcome, but our highest in order are John Kennedy at 70.1% approval. Then George H.W. Bush at 60. No, I'm sorry. George H.W. is 60.9 and he's in third. And Dwight Eisenhower is 65%. And our lowest are Donald Trump at 41.1%. Did I, did I sound too happy about that? I'm trying to report the news mm-hmm. <laughs> unbiased. <laughs> Harry Truman, 45.4. And we have two other like 45s. So thought that was interesting. I think it's interesting too. And I think it's maybe unsurprising to me that um, presidential approval ratings on average have declined as voters know more about their presidents and their administrations. Um, and as the news has become more um, um, present. Uh, that's unsurprising to me that that approvals have generally trended downwards. Um, it would have been nice to have one more president. It would have been cool to have FDR counted in that list because he was the only four-term president. You know, gratis out of the Great Depression, although arguable if his economic policies were the best, but, um, you know, led us through the Great Depression regardless, got us through the war. Like the only reason he didn't get us to the end of World War II is because he literally died in office. So, um and I'm not surprised about Kennedy. I mean, Kennedy really, I think, was an anomaly in American politics. Um, besides being, I think, one of the only Catholics, if not the only Catholic elected president, um, just was so young and charismatic and really seemed to have the ability to speak across the aisle in terms of you know, what I would consider being a statesman. I think Kennedy was a, a really good president, um, especially trying to face down Russia during the Cold War. Um, and then, of course, Eisenhower being at as high as he was in the 65 range makes sense. I mean, he was America's general in World War II. So um, I think you you got a lot of benefit from the war era once, you know, all the GIs grew up to be voting age. So um, pretty interesting. Super interesting. And it's funny to me how um, specifically George W. Bush was on the higher side. He was like 47 or 49 or something. And it makes sense when you see the presidency as an average, he did serve two terms. And over the course of the two terms, he had one of the highest approval ratings ever and one of the lowest approval ratings ever. So his approval rating after 9-11 skyrocketed. And um, it's interesting. It's a political theory actually called the rally around the flag syndrome, where when there's like an attack or some sort of emergency 
there's sort of this swell of patriotism and his, I think W. Bush's initial response was very, was pretty good in terms of just like addressing the nation the day of and the way he spoke about it. But then it, it obviously went like way downhill. And by the time he left office, he was one of the least popular presidents in history. And then weirdly, his image has sort of like, regain some of its honor post-presidency. Um, there's a super funny sketch. It's an SNL sketch. Uh, Will Farrell, who does the great uh, George W. Bush impression, did one um, around when Trump was uh, president. And he basically is like, don't forget, I was a bad president. Like, it's super funny. Like, go watch it um, just because it's Will Farrell being George W. Bush and it's hilarious. But in terms of Biden. I will be really interesting to see where his approval rating goes. I mean, he got dinged hard as I think he should have for Afghanistan and just what that what happened there and then not being able to pass this budget bill super quickly, which like you know, we forget Obamacare took almost a year to pass. The legislation, really big piece of legislation do take some time, but I think there's been a little bit of a lull where there are Democrats who are frustrated that he's not doing more. And then Republicans obviously don't like him just because it's Biden and a Democrat. And so I think there's a little um, dip here and I'll, I'll be curious to see if that goes back up. And also Biden for like the record was not this like super inspiring. Oh my God, we are so excited about you as like president. You know, he's kind of who shook out of the mix. Um, he was not the person that I wanted. And so, you know, I kind of have to like make do, but he's, he's just so like, I don't know, uninspiring. Like I, that's kind of how I feel about Biden. Like he's, so he gets the job done kind of, but he just is not like someone I really care about. <laughs> Yeah, I think. Oh my god, <laughs> is that too harsh? <laughs> no, it's just very honest, and I think that I don't know. He gets the job done, kind of, and not really who I wanted. Exactly describes my feelings, but it was just very funny how you said it. <laughs> he was elected because he was not Donald Trump. He his right. whole thing was, look, look at me, I'm Joe Biden. I've been in the Senate for forty seven years. I am not Donald Trump. I am basically half asleep most of the time and not Trump. And that's kind of been the case. Like he's, he's very uninspiring. Um, I think the other thing is his COVID slash like economic stuff has not been very friendly to him. Um, I think that's contributed to his, his pretty low approval rating as well. Well, and to Um, be fair, that certainly hit Trump too. Trump's response to COVID really tanked him. Um, And I think, there was a lot that Trump could have done differently that would have helped, but I don't know that he could have, even if he did everything perfectly, could have avoided a lower approval rating just, yeah. you know, because of the situation. I think, I think Trump had a certain floor and that's, you know, because his base was going to support him no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so he could only go so low. I don't know that the same is true of Joe Biden. Cause I think you have some people that are, you know, it depends on how the presidency unfolds. Um, but it would be curious to see, like, just in a you know hypothetical board game kind of way, if COVID never happened, you know, is did Donald Trump win a, a re-election? Because, you know, for a critical part of the campaign, he was dealing with all this COVID stuff, and he was obviously unpopular throughout his presidency. But did that affect enough people, his handling of COVID, that they said, ah, forget this, I'm going to vote Biden? I can see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, he got really unpopular during COVID. And yeah. it's it's interesting because, you know, with the whole rally around the flag syndrome, it actually could have been an opportunity for him to get right. even more support. But just right. because of his responses, it it really it went the other direction. And I feel like the timing too, like not to to give him a pass, but I feel like if it was in maybe his second year, you know, of the presidency and then he had time to do whatever he did and make mistakes. And then by the time it's campaign season and, and it's reelection, COVID's gone. Then he campaigns on, Hey, I beat COVID. And then you get that, you get that bump. I don't know. 
No, I agree. I feel like it was all very clear that it was inconvenient timing for Donald Trump. He yeah. he basically said it out of his mouth. Like he he didn't for want sure. to be worrying about any of that. So I agree. I think it, yeah. if it had happened earlier, um, absolutely, it wouldn't have been so top of mind for people who are voting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it doesn't mean he would have still won, but or would have won, but right. You know, I, I think it probably did have an effect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, everybody. I have a fun one that came to me while we were sitting here and you guys have both done this, but I don't think everyone that listens has done this or knows about it. And it feels like a good way for us to kind of dive into where you guys agree and where you disagree. Just kind of like you tell me and we're going to move on. So I'm going to share my screen for anyone who is on YouTube. You'll be able to see, but I will. Oh, I can't share my screen. I'm going to describe my screen. It'll be fine. Okay, everybody, what we're going to do is talk through a quiz. This is a quiz. If America had six political parties, which would you belong to? Mm. Now, all three of us have done this separately. I think we've only sort of shared our scores and Aaron maybe did it a while ago. But like I said, I want to pin you guys down a little bit. So I'm going to read questions out loud and you're going to basically say like, I really agree with that or I don't really agree with that or I'm neutral. Okay. And for everybody who's uh, able to take this later, we'll put a link to it. And um, it has like the standard five um, options with strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, neutral, somewhat agree, and strongly agree. But we're just going to streamline it with I do or don't agree or I'm neutral. Okay, guys. Question one. Marijuana should be legal. Strongly agree. Strongly agree. Okay. Should same-sex marriage be legal? Yes. Strongly agree. How easy or difficult should it be to immigrate to the United States? It says much easier all the way to much harder. Uh, Somewhat easier? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat easier. Okay. Thank you. How do you feel about reducing government regulation of business? Strongly disagree. Strongly agree. Ha <laughs> ha. Interesting. <laughs> Wait, I want to pin, pin you down a little bit just for like 30 seconds. Reducing government regulation of business. Less government involvement in business. Yes. Government needs to regulate business so that it doesn't hurt people. I love it. Okay. I'm hitting neutral. <laughs> <laughs> Local oh, wait, government. So we can't hang on. We can't do it. Let me do it on my side so that we can each get a resp- uh, response. Okay. Right. So that we can each have one. Okay. I have it. I've, I'm following along. So just do it for Zach and I'll do mine over here. Okay. You've been the same so far. So it's been good. So Zach strongly disagrees. No, strongly agrees to reduce government regulation of business. That's right. No. Local governments should decrease the size of police forces. And their scope of work. I somewhat agree. Disagree. Strongly disagree or somewhat disagree? Somewhat disagree. So you guys are not aligned on that, right? Nope. Right. 30 seconds of why? I think if you want to reduce crime, you have to have police. I don't, I don't think that that means exclusively only police. I think you can augment with community resource people and things like that. But I think if you reduce the size of police forces, you end up with more crime. I think we're asking police to do too much and serve too many functions. And so you need to redistribute the resources. And if you're going to redistribute, that necessarily means that you are decreasing some of the, of the police resources. Thank you. It is the responsibility of the federal government to see to it that everyone has health care coverage. Strongly agree. Disagree. Discuss. Oh, I think that health care should be like a universal human right. I very much think that we could have universalized health care in the United States and that it could work. I think for my perspective, um, Maybe people don't want it. And so I think that if you don't want universal health care, you shouldn't have to have it. Um, I think that that should be left up to the individual if they want it. That's not to say we shouldn't have 
some kind of safety net for people that want it and can't afford it. Um, but I don't think that it should be something that's mandated. Um, I think the free market is going to serve the medical industry better than the government could. Um, if you spend your money on yourself, you're going to care a lot more about it than if you're spending other people's money on other people. Yeah, I think it's about building a healthy society where people don't have to deal with big medical debt because they can't afford healthcare. And that's one of the big problems with our current system. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. I think um, part of the reason why our medical system is busted be- is because it's half free market. It's half and, and half right and now, half for not. sure. Mm-hmm. And so it, it creates these complications that you like, for example, you never know what the price of things are going into a hospital, right? There's not like a menu of like, oh, if I get an x-ray, it costs this much. If I get a vasectomy, it's this much. If I go in for cancer treatment for chemo, it's this much or whatever, right? And so I think if you have the ability for hospitals to actually post and, and compete based on price, then they have to compete based on price and you'll end up with competition and, and the prices will reduce because you're not having the government paying the bill, right? It's, it's, it would come from the employer or it would come from crowdsourced options. So that's my, my idea is that it wouldn't, it's so expensive right now. It's because it's one foot in and one foot out. It's just changed though. Hospitals now must post their prices online. It's uh, maybe Aaron knows more about this. It's something I've seen is a lot of people are not up to date on that yet. Yeah. I, um, don't, don't yeah, I didn't know that. It's mm-hmm. as of January, 2021. Hmm. Look at that. And it's exactly for what Zach's talking about to give people the opportunity to shop around. Interesting. Yeah. So that would be great for everybody. Yeah. Hey, when it comes to really important questions, scientific facts don't help very much. Strongly disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Strongly disagree. Very weird. Yeah. That's a, kind of a weird question. I, if you strongly I, don't, agree, I don't really understand why you would strongly agree with that. If you strongly agree, I, we want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what we're missing. Be our fourth little Zoom corner so we can ask you Honestly, questions. Honestly, uh, the minimum wage should be raised. Strongly agree. You know, it's 725 in the country right now. I Okay. Strongly disagree. That's not to say that people shouldn't make a living wage, but I think I, my stance is I don't see how the government knows how much it should force employers to charge. Like how, how does the government know that? Because the cost of living in California is way different than the cost of living in other states. So how did you come up with that number? Presumably you'd have to talk to economists and, and do some sort of analysis. I can't, I can't imagine they just come up with that out of thin air. Right. I'm not implying that they do, but I'm saying, I don't think that, I think everybody should make as much money as they can make. I'm not saying that I, sh- I don't strongly disagree because I am against people earning more money. I strongly disagree because I think it, that it, it should be left to the businesses. And then if businesses are like, I'm charging or I'm paying $2 an hour, people are like, well, I can make 10 over here. So I'm going to go over here. Like, I think that that, I, I disagree. I'm like, on supply and demand of labor grounds rather than like what the question's asking, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's a labor relations issue and I don't know that there's enough incentive in the free market for people to actually make a living wage for the market to do it itself. Right. This is like one of our core disagreements of how (laughs) effective the market is at actually Mm -hmm. like helping workers or, or that kind of thing. I mean, we, we didn't even used to have laws about hours and things like that. And that's, that all came from the industrial revolution. And that's, that is government regulation of how many hours you can work, what your overtime rate is, all of that. But those are workers' rights. We didn't have before that. Sure. I would point to COVID as being maybe a counterexample because um, right now employers are having to offer higher wages or more benefits because people are getting the COVID stimulus to not work. And so employers are having to incentivize people to come back to work um, with higher wages, like I said, and more benefits. So I think totally, that- but they only have to do that because the government has subsidized it. The government's involved in them having to offer higher wages. But be- also because the government is paying people to not go to work. And so the government is- problem, <laughs> the government has created the problem. And they're like, well, we'll help you. Like, so I, I think that's why I, I don't agree with the prompt because 
I see it as a more of an economics thing that if the government wasn't involved, you would have wages going up naturally. Yeah, I don't, I kind of don't think they would, but they're agree, not agree to disagree, but just disagree. <laughs> yeah. Interesting uh, point of this is relevant. I saw on my Instagram today and I'm looking at an article right now. Uh, maybe you've seen it. A worker in Florida applied to 60 entry level jobs in September and got one interview. So the little hot buttons at the top are businesses across the U.S. say they are struggling to find employees, especially for hourly work. So this man decided to test their claims, submitting two applications a day in September, and he got one interview. And his summary of the experiment went viral. So you can definitely look it up and see for yourself. But I have found it interesting as well that so many people are talking about how they can't find labor. And there's another record number of ships hovering outside of uh, the ports in Southern California. It just doesn't doesn't seem possible that these things can be happening simultaneously. So something to look into on your own time, maybe. Minimum wage should be raised. I would rather be a citizen of the United States than any other country. Strongly agree. Neutral. Mm. I think this is another area where like, it actually impacts a lot of what you think about politics. Blasphemy. I know. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but really, though, like. <laughs> okay, I, where where else where else would you go? Where, I where mean, would you... Italy was pretty great when I was there. Um, I know more about Germany's system than I ever did before because my brother's been living there, and I like the way it runs. I like universalized healthcare. It'd probably be some country in Europe that I would want to be a citizen of. Okay. That feels like I'm, I'm like taking mental notes about, I want way more than 30 seconds to two minutes on all of these, but I'm worried you're like mad about this. Zach. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> for sure. Zach has left the chat. Mock, mock outrage. Not, not real, not real outrage. Good, good. Question 10 gun control laws should be stricter, less strict or no change. Stricter, but right caveats on exactly what that would look like right right uh, yeah so see gun control episode part two <laughs> exactly yeah i mean it, it let less strict i guess if you're gonna like give me more neutral or less i guess i would choose less but again listen to part two of gun control because that's it's too new it's more nuanced than that for sure American society systematically advantages white people. I strongly agree. I disagree. Slightly or strongly? I'd say slightly disagree. Care to share? I think for something to be systematic, it has to be built into the system. And I would argue that we segregation is illegal. Like there's not in terms of just race, but also in terms of all the protected classes that we have now. Um, so I don't think that, I think that you can have ripple effects of the system that was for sure benefiting white people, you know, Jim Crow and slavery. But I think that by and large, we've done away with those systems. And so now I would say the system does not, although we probably are still experiencing like a hangover from when it was. That's interesting. There's a distinction that you're making there between um, what's called de jure versus de facto segregation, de jure being by law and de facto being it's not by law, but the effect of the law is basically to, to disadvantage. Um, I, I disagree that it has to be written into the law for it to be systematic. Um, so maybe that's where our disagreement lies. And I think, especially if you look at something like our prison system, that like disproportionately affects people of color. And, I, you know, that kind of thing is systematic, even if it's not written into the law. So when I look around and I see things like that, I, you know, I, it, maybe it is like, oh, this is a hangover from when we had slavery and segregation and all of that, but it's still, the effects are still real today. 
And I do think that it's built into our systems and our biases because of that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I don't know that we'll ever get the answer to that. I mean, I think one of the things we talked about is like the drug policy, that's a big chunk of it. And so if we revisit and revamp our drug policy, like I would be curious to see, you know, what impact would that have? Because I, I do think that there are things that we have that are unnecessary that are affecting, you know, huge groups of the country. Um, but for my, my answer to the question, I think no, but I, I could see where groups are, uh, adversely affected. And then maybe that's where, you know, something we could dive into in an, in an episode by itself is, you know, is this, is it, like you said, de facto or de jure racism where, um, are we having unintended consequences of our current enforcement of, of our systems? Thanks guys. Another light one. I think abortion should be legal in all cases, legal in some cases and illegal in others, illegal in all cases. I think situational. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also on that for that one. Yeah. Oh, not much discussion needed then. Yeah. An important reason some people are poor is because the economy is unfair. I strongly agree. I think I somewhat agree. Yeah. It's a little bit of a like, it's an inevitable consequence of having a capitalist system, right? Like it's, if you have that, it's going to be tiered because it's, you know, the competition to the top and we have really bad wealth in income inequality in the United States. And like the middle class has grown much uh, slower than the upper class. And you look at like those sorts of trends. And I think that where you're born, the opportunities you have really are impacted. Like socioeconomic status, I think probably has the biggest impact in the United States of, you know, what opportunities are available to you. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, it, the question is, is, is it fair, right? Being poor is a result of, of the fairness of the economy. I mean, life isn't fair, you know, unfortunately, like it, it's, it's unfair that some people are born here versus some people are born, you know, in, in war-torn nations. Like that's, I, I think, unfortunately so, but I, I would argue that, um, you know, our middle class and lower class even are better off than most of the other parts of the world. Um, and so while they are our lower classes, they are still richer than other places that are poor. And so I'm not saying that that's like acceptable, but I don't know that, that I would not capitalism for that. I think capitalism helps to raise all boats, even if, um, the wealthiest get their boats raised quicker. I think it does still bring people up, but I, I grant that there's room for a debate in that. This next one's similar. An important reason some people are poor is because, oh, that's what <laughs> similar, we just did. <laughs> similar in that I'm reading the same question. Mm. Slightly agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this next one is similar. Racial minorities have mostly fair opportunities to advance in the United States today. Mostly fair opportunities to advance. I'm going to somewhat disagree. Somewhat fair. I would, I would, I would somewhat agree or slightly agree. Today, discrimination against white people has become as big a problem as discrimination against black people and other minorities. I strongly disagree. No. Strongly disagree. Should the government raise taxes on incomes above $200,000? Strongly disagree. I actually think that I would disagree with that too, with the caveat that I think they should raise taxes, but it needs to be on a higher threshold than 200,000. I think it should be more like four or 500,000. Okay. Do you favor or oppose providing a way for undocumented immigrants already in the United States to become citizens? Favor. I would favor. Yeah. Again, I think case by case, right? I don't, I, I wouldn't say like blanket, but I would say, yeah, there should be, there should be some route. 
if you've been here for 15 years, fine. <laughs> Stay, <laughs> you know, like, let's... well, especially like the dreamers, you know, like people who were brought in really young, they're, sure. they're undocumented. Yeah. Right. But right. It, yeah. This kind of goes back to the, the whole refugee thing. Like this is mm-hmm. where I think it should be easier. I think it should be faster, which is a part of easier, but yeah, I would agree. Wealthy people spur innovation. Agree. Somewhat or strongly? I would say strongly, honestly. Yeah. I'm going to somewhat, because it's a little bit like circumstantial. Some do and some don't, you know, but it's hard to disagree with that when you have like Elon Musk and Bill Gates out there, right? Yeah. If even if they're not the ones that are innovating, but they're providing the opportunity for people and the money for people to do the innovation. So yeah, right. it may not be everybody is an innovator or an inventor, but it's like because of their wealth, it allows them to have R&D, which inevitably helps give us computers and microphones and like more processing power than got us to the moon. In a phone. <laughs> in, a in, phone. A, in a cell phone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Millennials, how important is the issue of climate change to you? Very, somewhat, Uh, not very important or unimportant. Very important. By the time this goes up, our climate change episode will be live. So it's a little bit of a joke, but I would say it's it's somewhat important to me. Yeah. Okay. Last one on here. It's the responsibility of the government to reduce the income differences among people. I'm going to somewhat agree. I'm going to disagree. Strongly or somewhat? I think strongly. I think I strongly disagree with that. All right. We're done. So I would really encourage anyone who's even remotely interested to go to the New York Times and take this quiz because it's so cool. And you can just look at your little dot on a graph among the other six political parties. These are not real political parties. And starting a new political party where you get all excited takes a lot of time and a lot of money, mostly. Um, so this isn't a thing that's happening. The um, reframers are not, are not announcing <laughs> the creation of a new party today. This I is don't. just purely, purely for fun. <laughs> don't join our political party just yet. Um, so I don't want to get anybody overly excited, but it is really cool to see. Um, so the graph has more socially conservative and then more economically conservative. And Zach, you are... Hold, hold on, time out. If you're, if you're listening to this and not watching on, on the YouTube... Um, the X axis axis. Well, you can't see it anyway. Cause we're not sharing the screen. I know, but I'm just telling people at home. Okay. If you are, if the X is, um, economic conservative to the right and liberally economically liberal to the left. And then on the Y axis, I really don't like axis. that. Word. <laughs> axis. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> is, um, more socially conservative is towards the top. So if you're in the top right corner, you are socially and economically conservative. If you're in the bottom left corner, you're socially and economically liberal. So those are the the extremes. So I'm looking at Zach's chart here and Zachary, your dot is pretty close to the middle actually. So you lean on the economically conservative, you're farther to the right, you have crossed the midpoint, which I think makes sense. And um, going up and down, you are, on the more socially liberal side of the line, but you are very close to the middle. So you're pretty, really? pretty well-rounded in your answers. Which party right. is he closest to? Oh, not really any. Quite honestly, he's pretty far from all parties, which may- um, But it may should describe. stay on the top, right when above I, the chart. Growth and opportunity. Yeah, okay. that was the result is, when I took it okay. by myself was, was that. So glad I was okay. consistent. The growth and opportunity party is the socially moderate pro-business wing of the Republican party. It is the heir to the old moderate Rockefeller Republican and the East coast wing of the GOP. Its potential leaders include Larry Hogan, Charlie Baker, Mitt Romney, John Kasich, Michael Bloomberg. This party would be a best fit for about 14% of the electorate based on data from the democracy funds voter survey. So okay. welcome to your new party. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. Hello, John. <laughs> Hi, Mitt. Cheers. Did I say that last name right? Mitt. How do you say John Kasich? John Kasich, Kasich? Yeah. Kasich. Yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
he he ran when in 2016 when Donald Trump ran. I think he ran. He was one of the. He was. He was one the, of the 25 men, white men yeah, on stage. I think it was. I think it was literally 16. Yeah, he was one of the 16. I can't even. Um, okay, so I am closest to the Progressive Party, which is the oh. far, far left corner one. Bottom left. Yes. <laughs> But I am not fully on the like bottom left. I'm like almost halfway up and um, a little to the right, but not really like that close to the line. I'm like right in the middle of like all the lines in that box. So in between the progressive party, which is bottom left, the American Labor Party, which is up and the new liberal party, which is to the right. Yeah. You're, you're kind of in the middle of that triangle. Exactly. Got it. Like in the little middle of the triangle. And this says... The Progressive Party is focused on equity and racial justice with a strong vision of inclusive social democracy. Its strongest support comes from politically engaged, highly educated younger people, especially women. Its potential leaders include Alexandra Osio-Cortez, Elizabeth Warren, or Julian Castro. Based on data from the Democracy Fund's voter survey, this party would best fit about 14% of the electorate, which is, yours is 14%, so. Well, is that just... Maybe that's all of them. I don't know. No, that's what 14, I'm wondering. 14 times six is only... 84. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. okay. So one of them. Aaron, mine, I took this previously, you guys, but mine is, I think, very close to where yours is. That's oh my, my God. Dad. I'm almost exactly there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I took it and I was way more... I don't know. I've been dating and with Zachary for eight and a half years. So I was a little more liberal than I thought I would be after mm-hmm. all of that. But um, but really, really interesting. I think sometimes I underestimate how conservative other parts of the country are. And it's because of living in the Bay area and just like having the, you know, the circle of people who I mostly talk to. Yeah. I think a lot of Democrats are like, if you look at JFK, JFK is a Democrat. And I'm like, dude, I agree with like a lot of your platform because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of the democratic party has, has moved like to the left more, which has kind of shifted everything with it. And so even though, like I'm a conservative. I'm like, yeah, I think JFK like was like had a lot of sense. It is really interesting to do like comparative to the past and then also other countries like mm-hmm. um, Angela Merkel is the um, prime minister of Germany or recently uh, yeah. retired prime minister yeah. of Germany. And she's in their conservative party. But if she, if she was in the United States, she would be a Democrat. And it's just right. it's really interesting um, yeah. comparing across that, too. Yeah. Uh, Cassie's playing with Dallas now. <laughs> He's being very good and letting us record. It's Our buddy guy timer is going off. Buddy it's guy. It's about his dinner will time. Tell you when it's been too yep. long without pets. <laughs> so we're probably going to wrap up pretty pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. If you can see the YouTube, this is Dallas. Oh, thank you for the kisses. Big for the record, if I had had my choice of the Democratic candidates, um, it would have been Elizabeth Warren who is one of the leaders of this party, you know, that I just jumped in on this uh, New York Times quiz. Did, did you have a preference, Zach? Rand Paul? Uh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I uh, that was my first vote when I voted in 2000. And... Eight? Ten. Ten. Eight. Would have been ten. Eight. eight. Oh, eight. Yeah. Eight. Eight. Twelve. I didn't 16, vote in eight because 20. I wasn't 18 yet. It would have been 12 was my first one. Okay. If then it must, Zach must, was... Must have been me too. You were. It must have been you too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I voted for Ron Paul. If he was running, I can't even remember now. I think he was running. So I voted for Ron Paul, and then um, if I had my choice, it would have been Rand in 2016 and Rand and not and Rand, not not and Rand, (laughs) and an important clarification, right? (laughs) Um, In 2020, but I, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, he didn't get the nomination. So none none of us really got what we wanted, but we right. Right. Sort of me do. <laughs> Rolling Stones plays in the background. Can't always get what you want. That's right. You guys, this was really, really fun. I so fun. Hope, I hope you weren't yeah. stressed. I know it's hard to come in after all these weeks of preparing and doing some research to honestly be so on it the was, fly. It was a lot easier because I didn't have to like refer to all my notes and so true. Like I was just along for the ride. It was awesome. Thank you so much for facilitating, Cassie. That was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I fool you into thinking I had done any kind of prep? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. I, I have a little I knew. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
I have a little bit of notes, but mostly I just had a lot of fun. You guys have been fun to listen to over the last several months. And I, I really do have a lot of things that came out of today that I'd like to hear more about from you. I don't know if you had any favorites, but primarily I would really, really like to hear about your guys's thoughts, deeper thoughts on capitalism and the free market. So if you guys listening have any similar thoughts on things that you'd like to hear a lot more about, will you please let us know? Seriously, we'd love it. I know that that sounds like we can't live without your approval, but really just if you're listening and you have any thoughts about it, we'd love to hear it. So let us know. Yeah. You live in the U.S. You probably have thoughts on politics. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Awesome people. Well, thanks so much. Uh, this was really fun. I had a nice time and um, definitely some things out of it that, that we should, you know, elaborate on in the future. So yeah, thanks very much, Cass. Thanks guys for playing and thank you all for listening. We hope to see you again next week and have a good rest of your day, night, evening. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reframers pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please rate and review us five stars and subscribe so you can always catch our latest episode. You can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Reframers Pod. And you can email us at reframerspod at gmail.com. 